All right, it is my pleasure to welcome the new Indiana University women's golf coach to this week's Only One Shot Golf Podcast, Mr. Brian May. Brian, thanks for spending some time with us. Hey, Jeff, thanks for asking me to come on, buddy. I appreciate it. Uh, you're now the, you've been named the fifth women's golf coach at Indiana University, and it's your first uh, job uh, or the head coaching job for yourself. Uh, what was that call like and, and the emotions you went through when you got the call that you're going to be the new head coach? Yeah, it was, it was a lot of excitement um, early for sure with, I've been at Kentucky now for eight years, and um, we felt like we built a pretty good program there and kind of have the blueprint for uh, kind of bringing a team from kind of mediocrity, really, to to a top 25 contending team and and a big conference. And, uh, you know, Indiana has just that. They've got a program that, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, you know, I think it was from 86 to 98, they won seven Big Ten championships. Mm -hmm. Um, So the the roots are there, and, and I was excited to come in and, and really be handed the reins to a program and say, hey, listen, we, we saw what you did at Kentucky. We've seen what you've done as an assistant. And um, we feel like you're the guy that can bring us back to that. And and just kind of hearing that was was really nice for me. And it gave me the confidence to, to come in and just day by day make this program better and get it back to where it should be. Yeah, Sam Carmichael. Attending team in the Big Ten, yeah. Yeah, Sam Carmichael started that. He was a good friend of my dad's and a great player himself. I, I believe he played at LSU, if I recall correctly. But okay. his daughter was a good player. But you're right, Indiana had some great teams there. And, and you can, you, you've picked up somewhere where it's still got some good momentum and you can take it to that next level. Uh, for sure. But uh, let's get to know Brian May a little bit better. How did you get started in golf? Who influenced you early on? And, uh, and we'll go with some of that. Yeah, you know, you know, golf got um, kind of into my blood early. I was probably, I probably didn't start golf until I was 12 or so. Oh, okay. But, um, you know, when, when Tiger Woods came on the scene, yeah. he, you know, obviously influenced a lot of people and, and golf became uh, the cool sport again. Um, and I was just an athlete. I was a three sport athlete, played basketball, baseball, golf all the way through high school. Um, and kind of just gravitated towards golf as golf became more popular. I got to spend more time at the golf courses in the summertime. Um, really just kind of free of, of really anything. Just, you know, parents drop you off seven o'clock in the morning, come back and pick you up at five o'clock in the afternoon. And, um, you just kind of fell in love with the game. And, um, so my influences there were really just the kind of people around me. I had a local pro and Gene Highland, who was fantastic for kids, um, just kind of let us run around the golf course, let us take carts when we weren't supposed to, and, <laughs> um, just kind of gave us just kind of gave us the leeway to to really fall in love with the game, and and that's what I did. Just spent summers out there, at just a local muni course in, in Frankfort, Kentucky, just kind of learning to play games and hit shots, and um, and really just have a passion for the game, um, which has been really cool. And I had a kind of an interesting route through college and I went to Moorhead State for a year and okay. from a school perspective just kind of wasn't what I was looking for and um, came to Kentucky and attempted to walk on there and, and at that point he had you know they were finishing in the top eight ten in the country every year they had JB Holmes was on the team and um, a lot of really good local talent there and uh, so he didn't take anybody from that from that walk-on tournament and it just kind of drove me to different different avenues um I had a, there was an assistant pro at the golf course there in Lexington that, that I was playing and working out of, and, and he went to a golf academy in Florida. And for me at that time, I, I didn't really know much better. Um, I didn't think about going and looking at another program to play college golf for some reason. Um, but I got, I got down to the Golf Academy of America, um, which is just the school that you know, teaches you how to teach the game and teaches you how to you know, the business side of, of running kind of a, a country club or running a golf course. Um, and again, just kind of fell in love with learning the teaching part of it. 
uh, came back and I was a club pro for five years, four and a half years. I was an assistant for two and, and pro for two and a half. Um, and then I got the call from Golda that um, she was going to allow me to come work with the team there at Kentucky. And, and here we are eight years later. Wow. What you figured out that club pro business was a little tough too. <laughs> <laughs> I'd tell you what it, it was. And, and I loved a lot of things about it. I love, especially at, I was at a, a local country club in Frankfort, Kentucky. Um, I got to know a lot of people on a, a deeper level than you would in a public golf course. Um, so I really loved the relationships that I built there. Um, but I just kind of had this, this yearning to just be around more elite level players. Uh, I had some good junior players that were coming through at that time, Jacob Cook, who just graduated from Kentucky, came through. Um, and, and I just really enjoyed just being around that player that just wanted to get better every day. Um, and so I actually reached out to Gola because I had met some people uh, when I lived in Lexington in the athletic department, Betty Lou Evans, the former coach there at Kentucky. Um, I met her and just kind of always kept my eye on, on what Kentucky was doing. Um, and then the job came open and I kind of reached out to Gola and just talked about how you know, I saw from a national landscape the uh, the male influence in female sports, whether it was a head coach or assistant coach. But at, at the level that people were winning, uh, I think at that point, like, I think University of Florida won a softball championship, and I noticed that. And, uh, and just kind of reached out and talked about how cool I thought that that dynamic was to have both a male and a female uh, in the sport, and it actually worked out really, really well. I couldn't have been more excited to be at Kentucky Um but really just diving in and being able to work with these players at a different level and push them to get better. Well, you, you mentioned elite players and that's kind of the theme of my podcast in the book, only one shot God or only one shot. Uh, what separates that elite player? You've coached some elite players, Jensen Castle, won a USAM. We'll get into that a little bit later, but you've been around, like you said, those elite players, what separates that elite player from the rest? Yeah. You know, when you get to, you know, obviously Kentucky being in the SEC, um, SEC is obviously very powerful in, in women's golf and in men's golf as well. Um, the physical talents have to be there, but I don't think that's the separator. I think a lot of people look at, especially in women's golf now, um, the talent is so high. The power is there. The physical traits are there to compete at any golf course anywhere in the country. Um, I think the passion for the game separates people at this level. Um, I think college golf and professional golf are something that people kind of put out there as a goal that they want to reach. Um, but once they get in it, the people that have a passion for the game and are just competitive day in and day out, I think really separates. Um, in this game, especially when you don't win at a high clip, you know, you're losing more often than you're winning. Um, a top 10, a top 15 in a great field is a great week. And, you know, a the passion there to really drive yourself to get better day in and day out when things aren't going to go well. Um, you may have a bad stretch of two, three, four months in golf. And, and that passion brings you back to practice and brings you back to the game week in and week out, I think is what really separates players at this level, uh, especially in the college golf elite level. Is that what you tell your players when I don't like to use the word slump, but when they kind of get down is to kind of remember that passion, remember why you play this game. Absolutely. Uh, I, there's so many things, especially in college golf now, you, there's so many things you're dealing with. You're, you're going to class. You've, you've got to do the things that you have to do academically. You've got to see your tutors. You've got to see your mentors. You've got to take care of all these things that really don't necessarily work out for some players as far as schedule goes. So you have to be able to adapt uh, when things aren't going your way. You've got to be able to adapt when 
you're the number one player on the team and you've got to get to a golf course three hours ahead because the number five player tees off an hour and a half before you do. Mm. Um, Schedule-wise, you've, you've just got to be able to adapt, adaptability. Um, and then, yeah, just like you said, when you come back from having a bad week, having a bad month, um, the passion for the game is what brings you back there. It, it's easy to hang your head in this game, and it's easy to be negative. Um, but to play at the highest level, you've always got to believe that that next shot is going to be the best shot, and the next shot is going to bring you out of that pump. Yeah, time management skills, you learn that real quick when you get to college golf. Uh, we'll kind of Very quickly. get into that. You mentioned a couple things. I want to go back to you mentioned multiple sports. How were you able to balance multi- playing multiple sports? What advice do you have to the kids out there? Because I think sounding and listening to you, you like to look at kids who played multiple sports. What, you know, what kind of advice to them, and how do you balance playing all those sports? Yeah, the, the balance is the hard part. Now where everybody is is told to specialize so early you know kids are playing travel baseball at seven and playing 80 games a year and and don't really see other sports Um, and golf is the same way golf you obviously specialize from being right-handed or left-handed and you kind of just have this one golf swing that and, and you have one movement your entire career and playing other sports gives you kind of that cross training um, athleticism that just gets your body in a place to be able to be athletic and move in different ways. Um, and I kind of talk about that adaptability as well. I, I think being athletic, being having your body be able to move multiple directions um, keeps you a little bit more injury-free. You know, as you see, golf is more powerful, just like every other sport is more powerful than it was 20 years ago. Um, and with that power comes more injuries. Mm-hmm. So specifying early, I think, hurts a lot of people in that way from a, from a body standpoint. Um, from a time management standpoint, you, again, it's, it's something that you have to adapt to at a younger age, which helps you when you get to college and understand that, Hey, I I might not have time to go do this, but I have 30 minutes to putt in my room if I want to get some putting done or if I only have an hour and I have to drop 20 minutes to the golf course, maybe it's more reading a book than it is, um, on, you know, sports psychology than it is going and, and hitting 15, 30 drivers for an hour. Did I read um, where you studied kinesiology some at Kentucky maybe? Did I read that? I did. I did. Yeah, I kind of started in that in that realm. And that was kind of the reason was, you know, golf golf fitness was becoming huge. Tiger Woods obviously was a big part of that. Um, and just understanding, you know, how the body relates to what you're doing as, as an athlete. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he took it to a whole new level. I, I remember when I was first on tour, you know, Greg Norman worked out. A few guys worked out most of the time in the trailer. The guys were going in there because they were injured or get, trying to stretch, and I think that was a big part of it. But Tiger took it to a whole new level, and like you said, he influenced you to get in the game. We see that now with all the professionals, both men and women. I mean, Tiger Woods, sure. worldwide, his influence has been phenomenal. But you mentioned Golf Academy of the South. What were some of the things you learned there or even when you were a club pro that's helped you in your coaching? Yeah, so obviously the golf, the technique um, is extremely important, but there are so many different ways to hit a golf ball. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what I learned the most was golf vocabulary, being mm. able to identify not only what to talk about with a player, but how to identify how to talk about it. Because there's 10 different ways to say the same thing. And with players now, they all come in with their own swing coaches yep. and their own sports psychologist so they only already have their vocabulary so being able to adapt as a coach to say hey you're you're coming a little bit too far on the outside and being able to say that four different ways to four different players 
so that we are speaking the same language, I think is extremely important. Absolutely. Uh, That's the tricky part. Yeah, it's extremely tricky. And miscommunication um, happens all the time in golf. So making sure that the vocabulary is there, being able to understand what coaches are telling their players so that as, as a golf coach, we can, you know, articulate that to them in the moments that they need it the most, which is when they're obviously playing and we're the only voice that they have. Um, as a golf coach now, I think versus what, 20, 30 years ago, a collegiate golf coach is not a swing coach, you know, in my mind, my, we help manage the time. We help push you in certain directions, uh, from a course management perspective. But again, these kids come in with swing coaches that they've had for 10, 12 years. Um, and we just want to add to that as coaches, this circle of trust that they have with their parents, with their swing coaches and whoever else that they may have. We want to add to that and not take away from it. That's one of the things you've probably learned in your eight years and how things have changed just in that short period of time is, like you said, balancing having the players who have these coaches, mental coaches, and you as coaches also trying to balance that. I think that's the tricky part. But what what were some of your duties as an assistant? And we'll get into your head coaching duties. What were some of the duties when you were an assistant at Kentucky under Golda? Yeah, I think first and foremost is just kind of be a sounding board for the players. Uh, You know, uh, kind of a go-between between the head coach and the players Mm -hmm. is first and foremost to make sure everybody's just in a good frame of mind. Um, You know, in golf where – college golf we're in season 75 percent of the year um so just kind of keeping everybody in a good frame of mind making sure we're all positive in what we're doing making sure there's that clear communication if something doesn't kind of sound right that's coming from the head coach making sure that i can articulate it in a different way maybe to make sure that everybody's on the same page um and then especially on the golf course i think i, I really got into a lot of the course management deal i would be on the course with a lot of players um being on part threes obviously is extremely important but I think that time at the golf academy, being able to understand different ways to say things, you know, a, a kind of a quick trigger here, a quick fix here, um, can really help a player in the moment when they need it the most. Um, and so I really think I got into that the most as an assistant, at least for the last four or five years, um, when we started to uh, kind of turn the corner and be a really a powerful team. Yeah, you all were. You got to the NCAAs. You barely missed out of match play. That was a magical year. And then Jensen Castle, Marissa Wensler get to the USAM. They go in a playoff, what was it, 12 players for two spots. <laughs> 12 uh, for two, yeah. That it had to be insane. You were home. Golda was back in Sweden, and they both win their first matches. And and we were just kind of getting to know those two young ladies. And, and uh, Marissa loses in round 32. But Jensen just kept winning and beat some really good players, beat Jenny Bay from Georgia and and kept continuing on. Uh, and, and Rachel Heck, I think she played her in maybe the semis. Yep. Uh, but the funny story, and you know where I'm going to go with this because I've teased you enough about it, but we, we were sitting <laughs> over there, and the rumor was that Jensen had only played with like one ball in the matches and two balls in the medal play. And I had to go ask her, and, and I said, is yep. this true? And she said, yes, I only have, you know, four or five Kentucky logo golf balls. I said, now, come on. And uh, it was kind of a laughing point. I said, you know, I wasn't hitting it straight enough to only play with one or two. Uh, but she did. She got all the way to the finals. And I was teasing Golda, but she was over to Sweden, you know, to get this kid some golf balls. But you flew in for that final match in the final 36. Uh, how cool was that? And what were some of your emotions that day going through watching her uh, uh, finally going on to win in the 35th hole? Yeah, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to address the first part. <laughs> I knew you would. She has plenty of golf balls. I promise you she has plenty of golf balls. Um, but you're right. Like, and, and Jensen spoke to this a, a million times. Is 
you know, she was coming off of an injury. She came to this golf tournament with no expectations whatsoever. Uh, didn't pack enough clothes, didn't bring enough golf balls. Yep. Um, but that's the mindset that a lot of people wish they could get to more often than not, especially in golf, when when caring so much is usually a detriment. Um, and she came in with literally no expectations, learned the golf course. I mean, she went into a 12-for-2 playoff, so she almost didn't even make the cut. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then goes on to win the thing, which is just a good testament to, to her strength uh, mentally as well, just to get in there and kind of do those things. But flying up, I, I was so excited to get up there. Uh, my wife was not excited. We had just gotten back from vacation as well. So I was like, hey, if, if she wins this match against Rachel Heck, I'm going to have to go um, <laughs> to just be there for her. And, and I think I got there after the morning, the first nine in the morning. Um, and she had a couple She had a couple of hole leads. She was two up, I think, making the turn. And then she lost it. And it was actually one down, I think, making the at, the, at lunchtime there. Um, and I remember walking in and I sat with her and her family and friends. Um, at lunchtime and, and you couldn't even tell the kid was playing in a golf tournament. Yeah. She was eating ice cream. She was having a good time. Conversations were anything but golf, uh, which I think just helped her relax. Uh, and she came back and she got off to quite a hot start there at the beginning of the uh, second 18 and really just ran with it. Um, just feeds off the crowd, extremely competitive kid. Um, and I couldn't have been more happy for her because she really earned it that week uh, of going up there and just kind of, pushing through the injury, pushing through the expectations and just, and just playing her game. And it, um, it's a world changing, life changing win for her. And I couldn't have been more excited for, her. you know, you mentioned that I think she, in between the matches, the 36 holes, I think well, the people she was staying with, they had to go back and wash one of her skirts or shorts or something. She was wearing, <laughs> I mean, it was the, it was, it was so much fun as a, as a commentator to watch this personality and get to know her and kind of, you know, just like, you weren't cheering because you're not supposed to cheer for the you cheer for everybody. I, I think sure. when people asked me that when I did the NCAA's, uh, you know, a week or so ago, they said, "Who are you cheering for?" I said, "Cheer for all these kids," uh, you know, because they they work hard at it. But it was really cool to see her win that. What did that win not only mean for her but for the Kentucky program? That had to be a big boost for y'all when you go out and recruiting. Hey, we have the U.S. Women and uh, champion on our team. Yeah, I, I think it just uh, you know kind of amplified what we were doing, gave us some. Um, some ways to look forward and say, Hey, listen, what we're doing is right. What we're doing is working. Um, you know, for her to go and do those things, the things that she's doing day in and day out at Kentucky, um, the things that her teammates are doing as well, because in this game, especially in a team sport or the team aspect of it, uh, that day in and day out competition she gets at Kentucky was really, really helpful for her. Um, and then for her, it, it just catapulted her into a different level, gave her the belief that she belongs at that level. Um, the justification of, hey, listen, I, I went out and did this, and I didn't even expect to do it. I, I hadn't practiced in three weeks. Um, I didn't think I had my A game, and I went out and I won, you know, arguably the the biggest amateur women's golf tournament in the world. Um, so it just gave her that belief that she belongs. And I think she went through this year. She had some ups and downs, but I think she's really kind of starting to learn, you know, the mentality it takes week in and week out to play at that level. Um, you know, she just just left the U.S. Open uh, with a missed cut, but couldn't have been more positive about it. Is hey, I, I really belong here. Um, I, I know what I need to do. I know some of the things that I need to change in my preparation and my management uh, of my game to get prepared week in and week out. But 
the the belief that she belongs, I think, is what she got the most out of that whole week. That's going to help. That's got to help you now that you're at Indiana coaching a player like that and different personalities. That's got to be huge, even you know, for your recruiting as well. So let's get into that a little bit. Uh, sure. We we mentioned you got the job. You're excited about that. Family's moving up. Uh, you know, what are some of the challenges that you have now trying to – now you're your own coach. Now you're the head coach. Now you're not just the assistant. You're the head coach. Uh, what are some of the things, kind of your goals uh, early on at IU, maybe your first year or two? Yeah, so the word that uh, – you know, I've gotten that question a lot, and the word that keeps coming to my mind is it, it's a resurrection of a program. Yep. And we talked before about where the program has been and the things that they've done. Um, and I feel like I've got a good blueprint to do so, which is come in really – give some structure to a program that might not have had some um, recruit hard. You know, the, the thing about this game is, is recruiting is 99% of it. Um, get players to understand that we have the resources in Indiana to compete, um, build a schedule that reflects that uh, moving around the country and playing against some of the top talent and giving the kids the Avenue to like a Jensen castle, the Avenue to, to play against the best players in the country and really show them that they belong. Um, but for me, it's, it's build a foundation that Indiana can, you know, really propel from. Um, understand what the vision is, which is to be a competitive team. Understand that the Big Ten championship is, is a goal of ours every year. Uh, playing in the national championship is a goal of ours every year. And then kind of just work backwards to see what that looks like month to month, day to day, uh, and get these kids believing that they belong. Tell us about the facilities. The golf course has been redesigned since I was a kid. We used to play the state am there, our state uh, junior there. Tell us a little bit about the facilities, and and uh, so the, our listeners can kind of get an idea what IU has to offer them. Sure. Yeah. So the Fowl Family Golf Course. The Fowl Family came in a couple of years ago, and and just poured a ton of resources into this facility. It's basically a brand new course. Um, it's very difficult, from what I've heard, um, but it gives us as a team a place to play day in and day out that can really challenge every part of our game. And I think that's extremely important at this level. Um, they have great green complexes. We can play from many different distances, many different tee boxes, uh, and just work on every part of the game. Um, with that re redoing of the golf course, there's a, we have a separate range. It's just for the Indiana teams that has six greens that we can hit to different wedge areas uh, and really just kind of move around and use our imagination, uh, which is what, I've really learned through being at Kentucky is just let these kids go where they need to go to hit balls from, go where they need to go to chip from, and, and never really put them in boxes where they have to hit these types of chip shots and this type of, you know, wedge shot and just kind of let their imaginations run. And uh, like I said, but just be able to work on different aspects of the game. And then obviously being in the Midwest, the, the winters are obviously a concern for especially a lot of people in the outdoors uh, or in outdoor sports. Um, but we have the resources there. We have putting platforms. We have track mans. We have indoor hitting bays. Um, but most importantly, we have the resources to build schedules um, in the in those early months in the spring to get down for practice trips, uh, whether that's in Florida or Arizona, uh, play different types of matches. You know, whether that's individual matches or tournaments. But the resource to build the schedule the way we need it to make sure that uh, if we do have bad winners that we have the resources to get out of there and get to work on the parts of the game that we need to work on, you know, especially in the, in the Midwest, which is the short game, being able to chip and putt throughout the winter time and, and get prepared to play in these tournaments. And you've been on a job, what, 10 days, two weeks? 
<laughs> I think it's two weeks. Yeah, I think it'll be two weeks on Wednesday. Yeah, so we're we're kind of catching yeah. him off guard. He's learning quick. He knows an awful lot about it oh, in a quick okay. study because he, he's out yeah. to recruiting uh, this week as well. And you mentioned recruiting. What are you looking for in a player? What advice do you have for the kids and their parents that are listening to uh, maybe get your attention or a coach's attention? What are you looking for in, in a player? Sure. You know, first and foremost, I, I, I like kids that like to compete. Uh, I like kids that like to play the game. Um, you know, now in 2022, what you post on social media is important. Yeah. Uh, coaches pay attention to that. And if I'm looking, you know, on a kid's social media page and all I see is driving range pictures and pictures of golf swings, you know, sometimes that's a turnoff to a coach who, who really likes competitive players and wants to see tournament scores. Um, so I really like that. I love players that just get out and, and really compete. You know, when we're when we look at players in person, not everybody's going to play well, and sometimes we may only get a chance to see you, um, you know, one or two times over over a course of a summer. Um, so the pressure to play well is there, but it's it's a lot more than that. It's how you treat your parents, how you treat your competitors. Uh, we look at a lot of that stuff. The physical traits have to be there to play at this level, you know, to build a program to an elite level. The physical traits have to be there. But after that, it, it is a lot of how you how you act on the golf course, what's your demeanor. Um, can you show me that you have a passion for the game? If you're Obviously, if you're interested in a school or if you're interested in anybody, make sure that they understand and they know from a coaching standpoint that you are interested. Um, send those emails. Send the text. I think there is no over-communicating when it comes to recruiting in golf. Um, so being able to have that communication both ways from coaches to players and players to coaches, I, I think is a big, important deal. How do the kids or their parents get in touch with you uh, personally now that you're at Indiana? Yeah. So now, uh, so I've got my email, um, on IU's website, you can go there, but it's just Bryce C may at IU.edu. Um, and then it's IU coach B may on Instagram and Twitter. Um, and again, believe me, at this at this point in, in 2022, we use social media. So the things you post are important. Reach out to us um, any way you can, and and we're looking forward to really finding finding some Hoosiers to re- rebuild this program, resurrect it, and, and really build a foundation for the future. I thought something you said really was amazing. I've heard a couple coaches say that how you treat your parents, how you act. It's not necessarily you may be you may shoot 65, but if you're you know. And I had a pretty bad temper, so I probably got myself in trouble early on, and I eventually grew out of that. I think I was 60 when I finally grew out of that. But, uh, yeah. you know, I, I think that's so important is how you treat people, and I think we learn that as we get older, and, and sometimes that's you don't realize. In social media, I tell kids, you know, when you're playing, stay off of it. Don't believe the good. Don't believe yeah. the bad. I think that's some of the yep. tough things you all have to go through in balance. I think that's so uh, such a tough part of your job, but uh, when you do a schedule, and now you're going to be making a schedule, do you try to go different parts of the country, get used to different grasses and courses? Will you be doing that when you make this schedule now? Absolutely. Um, different parts of the country, I think, is extremely important so that you're not just seeing one type of golf course, one type of grass. Um, I, I like to do a couple things. One, on the women's side, we don't have a 500 rule. So That's right. the, the strength of schedule um, I think it's important to see the top teams in the country as much as possible. Um, being in stronger fields helps from a ranking standpoint. Um, but at the same time, it helps your kids believe that they can compete. Uh, just being in those events, being around those types of players, just gives them a belief of, of hey, listen, they're, they're no different than I am. They just do it at a more consistent clip than I do. So let's get back to work. 
Um, and then the last thing I like to do, especially for my players, is if I can get you close to home um, so your parents can come see you, so your family can come see you, um, then I'm going to try to do that as much as possible because, you know, college golf, we travel all over the country, but we, we usually don't play close to a lot of people's homes, and there's not a lot of tournaments that are on TV, and there's not uh, there's not a lot of times where these kids are going to be close to their family. So being able to get – uh, get them close enough where family can come see, I think is extremely important. Absolutely. Where, where are you going to be this summer? Where are you going to be out recruiting? I know you're a crooked stick uh, uh, this yeah, week, checking it out. For the die. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then uh, I'll be over in Europe at the 1st of July for the, the team championships. Uh, and then I'll be at kind of your bigger events. I'll be at the Girls Junior, which is in Bowling Green, Kentucky, this year at Old Stone. Okay. Um, and then I'll just pop in and out and want to make sure I'm um, visible in the Midwest to get get my eyes on some of these lo- the local girls in, in Indiana um, and around Ohio and Michigan and Wisconsin. Um, just make sure that they know that you know that Indiana is is on the move in the right direction. Well, one thing you can be sure of the Indiana Golf Association and and I've watched how that junior program has improved. There's a lot of good talent in the state of Indiana, so you can keep some of those kids at home. That would be a big plus for you. But uh, I appreciate Absolutely. you. Yeah, I appreciate you spending some time with us. I always like to end the podcast, whether in life or golf. You may have only one shot. You got to make it count. You're making it count. I can't wait to see how you uh, take this program, resurrect it back to where it was, and. And we wish you the best of luck. And thanks for spending some time with us. I know you're busy. And uh, I can't wait to see how, how well you get this program going. I would be surprised to see you be very successful this season. Yeah, thank you, Jim. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to come on and, and kind of talk a little bit about myself and, and where our program's going. you got to remember, I was a Bobby Knight fan my whole life growing up. So I have kind of have a little bit of an Indiana Hoosier uh, love for you. So we'll be pulling for you. There we go. I, think, I appreciate that, and I appreciate it uh, getting on this podcast. What were you thinking on that play? Take a lap and when you come back, maybe you'll do things.